Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you've been following me on Twitter, you may have noticed I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health. I decided it's time to get back to my MVP weight. So I started Awaken 180 Weight Loss. I'm already feeling fantastic. The best part, I'm already down nine pounds. I could have hit the treadmill for a year and not seen the results that I've had with Awaken 180. Just like during my plan days, Awaken is all about losing weight and focusing on nutrition, coaching, and science. No pills, no gym. As you know, I travel a ton, but no worries there because Awaken 180 has a worldwide program. I can still have my weekly consults via Skype. When I'm back in Boston, I visit the government center location. Besides healthy living, my favorite part about Awaken is free support for life. We're all stuck at home these days. But join me and get healthy. Call the solution for weight loss. Awaken 180. Weight loss. Get on board just as I did. Go to awaken180weightloss.com. Hey, everybody, it's Drags. It's Wednesday, April 8th. Hope everybody is out there staying home and staying safe. Time for episode 345 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com. Follow us on Twitter at Patriots CLNS. My pleasure to welcome back old friend Doug Kide covering the Patriots and the NFL for Nesson.com. Follow him on Twitter at one word. It's very easy to follow Doug Kide, D-O-U-G-K-Y-E-D, at Doug Kide, all one word. Follow him on Twitter. Follow his great work on Nesson.com. How is your comically slow week going? <laughs> I, I could not believe that it was only Tuesday when I woke up this morning. I was like, wow, Tuesday, huh? All the days are starting to blend together a little bit, but um, weekends are obviously a little bit more peaceful. But it's going okay. It's going fine. Spending a lot of time with the daughter, spending a lot of time working, going through draft stuff. Uh, I'm getting used to this whole stay-at-home thing. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, Mentally, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm sure shocks you. Uh, (laughs) I'm just a a nervous Nelly. I like to be out and about. I like to be out in my car going out to get... um, uh, a branded coffee of your choosing, whether it be uh, yeah. Dunkin' or Starbucks, whatever, um, or even Honeydew. I don't discriminate. Uh, <laughs> but I like getting out. I like driving around, and I've really had to alter that quite a bit. I've got, done it a little bit, but um, it's hard for me to stay still in a house. It just is. 
Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a challenge. I, I usually before this I would go to a grocery store almost every day. Now it's now it's once a week. I'm I'm staying serious about this for sure. Yeah, I am too. I I am going to my grocery shopping uh, once, maybe twice if it's an emergency right. need. But I'm trying to uh, stay as um, true to the. Uh, stay-at-home philosophies of uh, dealing with COVID-19. All right, on to better and happier news. <laughs> How do you trigger your Patriots fan base, Doug? Well, if you're the Patriots, then you draft a running back in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wrote this morning. I, I was, you know, it's there's not a ton going on in sports right now, so I've been trying to come up with some more creative ways to, to get some content out there. And, um, you know, in all these mock drafts and all the rankings that we do, all the same positions are at the top of the board for the Patriots, but I'm sure that we'll get into them a little bit later. So I, I tried to find a, a creative way to, to write about some of the positions that no one's talking about the Patriots taking early in the first round. And uh, that, that would probably anger quite a bit of Patriots fans. So I, I wrote about running backs, cornerbacks, and what was the last position I wrote about? Oh, and, Guard. uh, and guards today. Correct. Which means yes. That a lot of people would not consider the Patriots to have, but you just never know with the Patriots. They might just go out of left field and, and take a running back or a cornerback or some position that you would not think is a major need at the top of the draft. See, you know, the way I view this, though, they almost always stick to the board in terms of the best athlete available. And the best athlete, has, if you're talking top 23, and the Patriots select for the time being at 23, you're talking wide receiver, right? You would think so at this point. I mean, there's so many talented wide receivers in this draft. I'm actually looking at the list right now. And there's who knows how many wide receivers are going to wind up going in the first round. The real only guarantees looks like C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs. Those guys will probably all be gone by the time the Patriots are picking. But there could be, you know... Six other wide receivers who might usually go in the first round that we're not that we're now talking about as fringe first second type round picks like uh, Justin Jefferson, Denzel Mims, Michael Pittman, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Chase Claypool it goes on down the line. T Higgins. So yeah, I mean one of those guys will probably be available there at number twenty three. So I, I don't know. I, I certainly wouldn't mind the Patriots taking a wide receiver in the first round for the second straight year. Well, uh, your colleague Zach Cox. Um couple of weeks ago from Indianapolis and the NFL Combine wrote a uh, a very interesting story, I think, that shed some light on how the Patriots uh, might draft going forward based on the lessons learned of Nikhil Harry. Do you think their experience with Nikhil Harry makes it more or less likely they go after a wide receiver, whether it's in the first or second or third round? Um, ultimately, I might go with less likely just because of Nikhil Harry's performance last season, but I don't think that would necessarily preclude them from taking a first-round pick, a wide receiver in the first round again this season, especially just with the quarterback change this season. Obviously, Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time. Everything that he ever did with the Patriots was a net positive. If there's a negative to be spoken about him, it's the fact that he never really clicked with rookie wide receivers. There were some, some instances, you know, uh, Malcolm Mitchell, Deion Branch, there were some su- success stories, uh, with young Patriots wide receiver, but for the most part, he had a hard time getting acclimated with the young wide receiver. So now maybe with Jarrett Sidman there or Brian Hoyer or whoever it is at quarterback next season, that quarterback might have an easier time, uh, getting acquainted with a young wide receiver. So I think that 
anything that would have detracted them from taking wide receiver in the first round based on what Nikhil Harry did last season, having that new quarterback might encourage them to do it this year. What about Jacoby Myers? I know uh, certainly he had a significant role early on and midway through last regular season, but uh, then tailed off a little bit toward uh, the last month of the season. He's uh, somebody I think could be really an X factor in the offense next year, especially over the middle. He loved, he, I thought he did an excellent job uh, catching tough passes in crossing routes. Yeah, I've got some pretty high hopes for Jacoby Myers. At the same time, since he was an undrafted free agent last season, I wouldn't necessarily call him a lock to make the roster, but he just has to have a, a solid training camp, solid preseason, as long as those things actually happen this offseason. And I think that, you know, he could be a, a pseudo starter next season. That that would be the ceiling for him. Um, I think that you certainly want to bring in some competition. You don't want to uh, depend too heavily on whether it's Jacoby Myers or Gunnar Olszewski another guy who's coming back next season, Mohamed Sanu. I think you want to bring in some competition, but uh, I've got high hopes for Myers. And I think you know, based on some of the moves the Patriots made last season, trading away Demarius Thomas, uh, cutting Josh Gordon, it certainly seemed like the Patriots wanted to keep Jacoby Myers around last season as well. How do they get their hands on an elite tight end in the draft, like Komet out of Notre Dame? It's tough. I think they would have to trade back into the second round unless they really wanted to reach with that 23rd overall pick. But I certainly don't think that Cole Komet is worthy of a first-round pick. He's a big guy, runs pretty well, but not much of a blocker. Uh, I don't necessarily think that he's worthy of a first-round pick. I think that the second round is really the sweet spot for a lot of those tight ends. Cole Komet, like you mentioned, um, Adam Adam Trotman out of Dayton, Albert. I'm going to try to say this correctly. Okuwebunam out of Missouri, um, even Hunter Bryant. Those are the guys who are going to be in the second round. And then if you get down to the third round, a lot of those guys might be off the board. So if they want to ensure that they get a top tight end, I think they do have to trade back into the second round. Otherwise, they're going to be picking up some scraps there in the third round. Speaking with Doug Kai, doing an outstanding job covering the Patriots and the NFL for Nesson.com. Follow him on Twitter at Doug Kide, all one word, D-O-U-G-K-Y-E-D. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, or just let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your very first deposit. Be sure to use that promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50. Bet online. You're online. Wagering experts. Back with Doug Kide of Nesson.com. All right. The advantages of taking that 23 pick and number 23 overall pick, Doug, and moving down uh, into the second or third round. Do you think that's more likely than not? I do. I kind of do. I think that that's the smartest move for the Patriots would be to move back, whether it's for there's a bunch of teams with two second round picks, whether it's a team with a late first and a late second or an early second and an early third. The Patriots have a lot of options for moving back. 
I'm not sure if the perfect guy is going to be there at number 23. So you might as well pick up whether it is, you know, a couple second round picks or um, a late first and a late second or early second and early third. That'll just give you more options to get that wide receiver or that tight end or that linebacker or edge rusher that, that you really want um, without having to spend too much draft capital on that player. All right, Tom Brady, as a lot of the great athletes have been doing uh, during uh, the stay-at-home lockdown and COVID-19 social distancing, wrote a nice uh, story, I thought, for uh, the Players' Tribune, his perspective on moving, leaving uh, New England behind and moving down to Tampa Bay. What were some of your biggest takeaways? Honestly, not to be a not to be a, a negative Nora right here, but negative Nancy, as I like to call. Nancy, yeah. Um, as soon as I saw it posted, I was kind of I was in the middle of doing something else, and my initial thought was, I'm so glad that I don't have to just immediately read this whole thing yep. and, and do a post on it and and break it down and dissect it. It was like I can just read it whenever I want to, and you know. It, I think that Tom Brady, he, he cares a lot about his image, obviously. You saw it branded with the Under Armour and all of that. And, and you've got to respect that, uh, from his perspective. But, you know, obviously when, when we would be sitting in on, on press conferences with Tom Brady, there were times where he would say things that were obviously very interesting or things that only he would say or know about. But a lot of it was, was kind of speaking in generalities and, after a while of, of covering him for as many years as I did, I, I almost learned to, to tune out some of those generalities. So it brought me back to that where I was just kind of thinking about those times when I'm sitting there being like, oh, okay, he's, he's saying, you know, the, the same thing that he always has. But I think it was nice to, to talk about, you know, the Patriots fans and how much they've meant to him, uh, how, how different it is going now from California to New England to New England to Tampa Bay. So definitely a lot of things that, that were nice in that column, but overall, it's selfishly, my initial thought was, I'm glad that I don't have to freak out over this and immediately do something about it. You know, to your point, Doug, um, he is not an anecdotal kind of guy. He does not. Te- he does not tell stories full of detail. Belichick, on the other hand, does do that. I mean, to a fault. Belichick <laughs> is one of the best anecdotal storytellers. Um, as much criticism as he gets for his personality when the camera is literally on, when the red light is on uh, in that media workroom. Uh, during his conference calls, when Bill Belichick goes into anecdotal form, it's fascinating for me to listen to. Brady, on the other hand, very rarely does that. But the one thing I found interesting was, uh, and I'll read the quote, uh, the, read the paragraph. He says, quote, when the Patriots drafted me back in 2000, I was 22. I remember I was sitting in my parents' house in San Mateo, California, growing less and less confidence that the phone would ring. But late in the draft, it did. By the way, in the sixth round, it's not like Coach Belichick himself was on the other end of the line. I think it was his assistant, Furge, <laughs> quoting, we wanted to let you know you've been picked by the New England Patriots, Burge said. Now, <laughs> I found that paragraph interesting because it was Brady actually detailing something that happened in the past and, yeah. and, and relating to us. When he was first drafted, he was literally a nobody to Belichick until he got on the field. And I, I just found it was interesting. He actually gave us an anecdote early on in that column. No, that's a really good point, and uh, I forgot who it was who mentioned it. Uh, I think it was actually one of my coworkers, Mike Cole. That was the only time that Belichick was was mentioned in the entire column. 
Uh, that's um, correct. That's exactly right. And it was almost not not to like get you know Boston media about this and, and taking and everything, but I know, but it, it was kind of shedding Belichick, not in a negative light, but to say like. Yeah, he was too good to call me. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't it wasn't a positive story about Bill Bill, Bill Belichick. It wasn't a and obviously he said a lot of positive things about Belichick throughout the last month. But I did find it interesting that in this column, the only time that Belichick was mentioned, it was about how he didn't call him. And Brady and you know Doug Brady would very much admit back then in two thousand. He was a nobody. Oh, for he, sure. And 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 I don't think you know Brady put that that paragraph, that anecdote in there to necessarily slight Belichick. The fact right. that the only reference to Belichick in this entire story is in there is more of the slight. Yeah, I would I would certainly agree with that. And I mean, if if he did include that as as to say, you know, when I was drafted. Belichick didn't even call me. It would be slightly fitting if he did put that in there on purpose as if to say, yep, and when I finally hit free agency, he still didn't call me. Or, you know, he, he did call him once, but it, it's, it, you know, it's a nothing really fully changed. Um, and obviously a lot did change over the course of Tom Brady's career. But I think that by the end of it, he was still thinking that, you know, maybe Belichick wasn't, considering him as highly as he as he possibly should have at the end there so he also says uh, a couple of paragraphs later gillette stadium holds around seventy thousand people and i've never not played in a sold-out stadium during my career as a patriot <laughs> how fortunate am i look i he's probably tampa bay is probably going to sell out if they haven't already i, I don't think right. they they're going to probably sell out most of their home games and Tom won't have to worry about that uh, down in Tampa. Although the possibility exists, if they're a 500 team uh, and the economy is what the economy is going to be in even as few as four or five months from now, that's not a guarantee. And it's going to be kind of a it's going to be an entirely different vibe for him down in uh, on the uh, Gulf Coast. Oh, it certainly will. And I mean, you know, not to not to turn this back to to what's going on with the coronavirus, but. There's a possibility that he could play a game in front of zero fans, too. I mean, I'm not sure if that was in reference to that. Um, but no, I mean, to your point, I think that, you know, if the Buccaneers do struggle and, and like you said, with the economy the way it is, um, it's not like a team, uh, that's going, going to sell out every game regardless. I think that they'll enter the season with eight sellout crowds. Um, but if by the end of the year they're sort of struggling or they're not doing as well as expected, then I could certainly imagine that that stadium could could empty out a little bit at the end there. And obviously that's not something that he was experiencing in New England. In New England, but at the same time, I think he sort of likes that challenge where it's not as easy as it was to sell out a crowd when it was with the Patriots. Now he's got a little bit more of a challenge on his hands with the Buccaneers, and I think that he he knows and acknowledges that he has to win over a new fan base now and win over new teammates and win over new coaches. All right. We've been playing a lot of either or in this uh, podcast, talking with Doug Kide of Nesson.com. I'm going to play that game one more time. What's more likely uh, in New England in 2020 uh, in the summer and fall? Jordan Love or Jameis Winston playing quarterback? Um, I would go with Jordan Love. I 
don't support the idea of drafting Jordan Love simply because, and this is a, a point that I've probably overmade at this point, but do you know for certain that Jordan Love is better than Jared Stidham? And I've asked this to scouts. I've asked this to other media members. And the answer is essentially a resounding no, that, you know, Jordan Love has probably better traits. He might have more upside, but there's not a guarantee that Jordan Love is better than Jared Stidham. And I don't think that you can take a player in the first round if he's not definitely better than the guy that you already have in the fourth round. That being said, I really don't think that Jameis Winston will be coming to the Patriots. Uh, some of Bill Belichick's old scouting notes leaked last week from 1991. And in the quarterback section, the number one thing was being a good decision maker. And you <laughs> yep. certainly cannot say that about Jameis Winston, who threw 30 interceptions last season. I'm not sure if you could say it about Jordan Love. He had 20 touchdowns and 17 interceptions at Utah State. But at least he's still a piece of clay that you can mold a little bit. James Winston might be, but he's obviously got a lot more NFL experience at this point. So, you know, either or I'd go with Jordan Love. But personally, unless you can get Joe Burrow, Tua, or Justin Herbert, I'm not taking a quarterback until at least the third or fourth round in this draft. I'm totally with you on that. And by the way, that's that uh, decision-making uh, factor in Belichick's 1991 uh, draft notes is why I never bought Andy Dalton. In, since, yeah. in, uh, in New England. Simply you would know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been down this path many, many times before in previous podcasts in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> but um, Bill Belichick was on the sideline watching that game in, in Cincinnati. You and me were in the press box. Yeah. The, the, the one person responsible for the Patriots walking out of there with a win when they did not play well at all in that first half was Andy Dalton. Because yeah. of the you know the interception he threw right before halftime was a game changer, uh, and the pick six to Stephon Gilmore in the third quarter uh, pretty much sealed the the fate of that game. And I just can't imagine, even though Belichick could say to himself, "Look, he isn't going to make those kind of decisions with me," but I just don't see them going down that path. No, I'm with you, and I think that it would have to get to the point, and it's probably going to get to that point anyway, where the the Bengals have to release. Uh, Andy Dalton, because I don't think that anyone's going to be willing to give up a draft pick. And I think they're keeping salary. him. I actually think they're keeping him. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's the other option at this point. And, you know, it's not bad to have Andy Dalton, who knows that Cincinnati system. He's familiar. He's a comfortable guy. And he can do what John Kitna did for um, Carson Palmer back yeah. in 2003 and what – you know, Kenny Anderson did a little bit for Boomer Esiason back at the start of Boomer's career, and Mike Brown was a, around for both of those um, eras, and I would think that's kind of the way they're leaning again. Um, I want to wrap up here going back to a great column you did in February, I believe it was, on Nick Casario and how much fun that was for you to write about a figure that – you could make the argument behind Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, he is the third most important person in the dynasty. You agree? Yeah, absolutely. Just because he's got his hands in everything. I mean, he's he's essentially the GM. He he works in games uh, helping out Josh McDaniels. He's in practice throwing passes to wide receivers. He's, as someone mentioned in that column, um, you don't typically see a general manager working out cornerbacks and wide receivers by throwing throwing to them at pro days. 
And that's what Nick Casario does. So, you know, he's been a monumental figure for the Patriots uh, since he came in in 2001. And the Patriots are very fortunate that he's sticking around for at least another year or two um, after signing a new contract this offseason, you know, losing Tom Brady and Ham and some of the other assistants that they've lost over the last couple of years. That might be a bridge too far for them to to continue to compete the, the way that they have. So having him for the draft and having him for free agency and everything um, has certainly been very important. But yeah, that was a ton of fun. And really, one of the biggest takeaways that wasn't actually part of the column was that just so many people wanted to talk for the for the piece because of who they were talking about. They said that you know I got special per- permission from you know who I work for to talk for this you know feature because I wanted to talk about Nick Casario so much and because I wanted to, get, to give him the credit that he really deserves. And I thought that that was very interesting. I think that's a fabulous point. And the other point I would make about Nick Casario is um, you get the sense, and, and you and me have covered him for the – well, I've covered him for the entirety of his career. Yeah. And uh, the thing I would – and you've covered him for most of his career uh, in New England. Um, the, the point I would make is I think Nick Casario, the way he goes about his job, is unique to New England and probably – is the only franchise in the NFL where he could work the way he works, if you follow my draft. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it is it is nonstop for him. And, yeah, I think that if he went somewhere else, and he probably will at some point in his career, but it would certainly be an adjustment for that franchise for them to say, wait, so you're going to be our GM, but then you're also going to have a role in practice and you're also going to, you know, be in the booth during games. And I think that, you know, maybe some other coaches that he doesn't know as well might be turned off by that a little bit. Uh, Insecure. (laughs) Right, exactly, for sure. Like, oh, so now you're the GM and you're going to be at our practice. You know, there's a lot of headbutting between head coaches and GMs. And I don't think that Nick has the personality necessarily to have, you know, be that to headbutter, but another head coach might want him to be a little bit more hands-off uh, if right. he did come to their system. So it would probably have to be someone that he does have a, a good relationship with. And, you know, just another thing that, that wasn't part of that, but I've talked to people over the years, some people think that Nick Casario could even be a head coach in the NFL. I'm not sure if that someone would actually hire him to do that because he that does have that That would be outside-the-box thinking, though. I, you know, yeah. I, it, if I were uh, a lower-rung franchise in the National Football League, and I would want to send a message that we're going to do things differently with a very, very bright, experienced, and accomplished football mind. I'd be all in. I'd be all in on that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I think that he could run a team, you know, as the general manager and the head coach. Um, and like I said, I mean, he doesn't have a ton of experience in doing that, but he was a coach early in his co- early in his career with the Patriots in 2007. He was the Patriots wide receivers coach, and obviously that was the year that he had to deal with personalities like Randy Moss, like Wes Welker, uh, they had Dante Stallworth, Jabbar Gaffney. All of these guys were brand new, and they had the best offense in NFL history up to that point. So, I mean, that shows you even there that he can deal with some bigger personalities, despite the fact that at that point, no one really even knew who he was, and he had never been a wide receivers coach before. So, no, I'm with you. I think that, that would be a fascinating hire for a team that does need to think outside the box a little bit. Um, and take a, a hire that's not overly obvious, not the the latest new offensive mind in the NFL, which is the popular thing to do, hiring head coaches, um, but to hire someone who you might not expect to be a head coach. So what are you, Zach, and Mike Cole going to be doing heading into the uh, uh, draft 
um, at the end of the month for Nesson.com and Nesson? Uh, it, I mean, it, that all sort of depends on, on what they're going to allow us to do. And obviously it's going to be a, a digital type thing. So we'll all be sitting at home watching the draft. Um, I'll be doing takeaways from every single pick, uh, as long as they're not too rapid fire out there. Uh, Zach will be doing some of that as well. Um, our, our great desk will be handling a lot of the, the broader NFL stuff. But yeah, I mean, up until that point, I'm going to be still cranking out mock drafts and doing, uh, my, my Patriots previews and, and some rankings and everything. Um, and then yeah, at the draft doing, uh, like I said, takeaways from every pick and then also hopefully, talking to Bill and Casario and, and draft picks over conference calls. It's going to be a little bit different this year uh, that we're all handling this remotely. But if there is an event to do remotely, the draft is probably the one to do. I would agree with that. Well, Doug, I want to thank you very much for taking time out. Stay safe uh, with your family. I'm sure you will do that. I also want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our great guest, Doug Kide of Nesson.com. Follow him on Twitter at Doug Kide, all one word, D-O-U-G-K-Y-E-D. Also want to thank our terrific sponsors, Bet Online and Awaken 180. For producer Michael Angi and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast. Or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.